because usually usually when Cass watches, I watches over I watch over her shoulder because I'm usually making dinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And while she was doing that, I was distracted and I got her reactions and I'm like, mm, no, I think I'm gonna I think I, I think I want to get this one on air. <laughs> just every couple of every like minute or so, it's just like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds about right. Welcome to Imagine Me and Mawar You, Penguin Drum. I am Panda. I am your host, and I am here with my co-host, Alice. How are you doing, Alice? I am doing all right. And I am here also with my other co-host, Cass. How are you doing, Cass? Hello, hello. And we are here to talk about episode 12 of Mawaru, Penguin Drum. It has been a while since you caught me unaware saying something out of context. <laughs> yeah, we're we're in for some peak Ikuhara bullshit today uh, in episode 12, The Wheel That Spins Us Round. I don't remember what the subtitles say that the episode title is. We will get there when we get there. As I was watching this episode in preparation for our recording, I told Alice and Cass, we are in for some peak Ikuhara bullshit tonight, ladies. This episode has it all. A big reveal. A fairy tale metaphor. Death. Yep. I mean, that is basically his entire revoir, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, That's you could say that about every Ikuhara show and you wouldn't be wrong. So with Without further ado, we can get into the episode. I hate the word fate. Birth, encounters, partings, success and failure, fortune and misfortune in life. So this is the monologue that Kanba started saying at the beginning. Yeah, I was about to ask who it was that said this the first time. Notably not being said by Kanba this time. This is the voice of Samatoshi. Oh, I actually, I guess I just miss uh, misheard when I was watching the episode because I did think this was Kanba. <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure this is Sanatoshi's voice. It might be right as the monologue ends, just as we revealed Kanba was yeah. the original guy by cutting to him. It cuts to Sanatoshi. Mm-hmm. We are in a hospital. We saw a brief scene of some black rabbits. Just keep those. Rotate those in your mind as we go through this episode. Put a, put a pin in it. Put it don't, in your mind. Please palace. don't put a pin in the rabbits. Put a pin in the idea of the rabbits. The concept of rabbits. By the way, while they are in the hospital room, a flatlining EKG monitor jumped back to life. And uh, Sanatoshi, we see him in shadow standing next to the hospital bed. There are those that are born wealthy, and those born into war or poverty. Those born of beautiful mothers. We see the rabbits again. They are in a basket and they are next to, what is this? It's just like a spinning. It's a gyroscope. Oh, gyroscope. That's the word. But we've seen this. We've seen the gyroscope previously. Yep. It's a thing that spins a lot. Well, it's been in like this office. 
Yeah, okay. it, it's like a desk toy of some kind. And notably, gyroscopes spin a lot, but never actually go anywhere. I wonder if that's relevant to the themes of this series. We actually see the doctor is in the office, kind of like working on something. We do not know who is in the hospital bed, so this is either Sanatoshi with someone we've never met, or Sanatoshi is implied to have been kind of immaterially present the last time Himari was here. Because this is Himari's doctor and the hospital room Himari was in when she first flatlined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If that's all caused by fate, then God must be incredibly unfair and cruel. And as we finish the monologue, Sanitoshi sets down a picture on the doctor's desk. Notably, he kind of just materialized behind the doctor. Yeah. And as we zoom into the picture, we see it is of a group of people at some kind of research institute, presumably in the Antarctic, surrounded by emperor penguins. And it says it's the 36th Antarctic... Environmental Defense Team. Thank you. I couldn't read the uh, thing as the subtitles managed to cover it. As we Mm -hmm. zoom into the crowd, we see... So I need to ask something here, because I don't remember. When we've seen previous shots of Shoma and Kanba's dad... Did he look like the guy we're about to get a close-up of? I think so. Because I don't remember this guy. Well, I'm gonna... But his face is also deeply unmemorable. And also, given what we're about to learn and some things that are about to happen, I I kind of don't know how this could be their dad. Or rather, this could be the version of their dad we are familiar with, if, in fact, the events that play out are literal. I... Hmm... Is this... What did Ringo's dad look like? This is not Ringo's dad. Okay. Okay, no. Ringo's dad looks very different. Ringo's dad has brown hair and he has kind of like a comb over thing going on. I do feel like this is Shoman... Yeah, uh, this picture is on the wiki page for Kenzen Takakura, so... Well, that's the thing. This is Kenzen Takakura... Yeah. This is their dad. What I'm asking is if this is the same character we saw in previous flashbacks. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I don't... Yeah, that's not... Remember. I should probably have clarified that's not the same thing because there's a major historical diversion happening here if that is the same person we saw in the flashbacks because as we are about to learn, Shoma was, like, born on the day of the sarin gas attacks. Uh-huh. Which would indicate that, so I I don't know if you know the timeline on this, but the man who was responsible for orchestrating the sarin gas attacks was uh, executed by the Japanese government. Uh, He was hung from the neck until dead. Well, I just, I'm not seeing anything, like I'm on the mom's Wikipedia page and I am not seeing any reference to a stepdad. Yeah, I'm I'm not either, so I'm, I'm double checking to make sure my memory... Okay, so what I'm looking at here, and I've double-checked this, so this is Ashoma's dad, first of all. Yeah. Second of all, the sarin gas attacks are not what he's responsible for, even though we will later learn he is responsible for exactly the sarin gas attacks. Okay. So this is like a little known, well, not even a little, this is a pretty well-known documented fact. When the sarin, that way we'll talk about as for the opening plays, as the sarin gas attacks uh, were playing out in Japan, people were like noting them and taking them into account. 
one of the things people assumed had happened when the lines were shut down was that there had been some kind of bombing. Uh Uh-huh. There was not. Sarin is a volatile gas. All that happened was, like, a bunch of guys punctured some bags of liquid and exposed it to air and immediately aerosolized. Okay. And it actually uh, dispersed very quickly because, again, it's it's extremely volatile, which is why it was so devastatingly effective when it spread, but also why it, it didn't, like, last long term. But there were a lot of people who thought there had been a bombing. Uh, and apparently in the in the world of Mawaru Penguin Drum, and this is what I was wondering about, because I was like, the timeline can't possibly match if this is the actual sarin gas attack. In the timeline of Mawaru Penguin Drum, the subway attack in 1995 was a bombing. Okay. We get some confirmation of this later in the episode. This is something that had confused me. Yeah, I also was kind of confused when I was watching earlier, so I'm glad I'm not the only one, I guess. Yeah, when we later see flashbacks to the event, we will see plumes of black smoke rising up. And I thought there was like, oh, maybe there was like a train derailing or something in this version. No, uh, apparently the the accident in this case was an actual bombing, which probably means more people died. Yeah, so in, in real life... The sarin gas attack injured a lot of people, but yeah. Yeah, in real life, the the cult actually made a bunch of bombs, and they attempted to do chemical weapons before they did biological ones. I mean, sorry, reverse that, biological or chemical. And before that, they had tried conventional, like, bombs, and it, it turns out they were really bad at them. Huh. They were bombs are hard. Yeah, it turns out that making bombs competently can be difficult, and a bunch of them got hurt trying to make, among other things, anthrax and... Um, makeshift IEDs. And so they, the reason why they ended up doing it the way they did was because they couldn't find anyone competent enough to actually do something that was more flashy. Huh. So in this universe, I'm guessing basically in this sort of this parallel timeline that we've created here, Ikihara is imagining the aftermath of a version of events where they are more, they actually are competent, where they are able to do what they wanted to do. And it didn't just kind of have this hilarious strain of, of fa- constant failure. Huh, okay. Yeah. It is also notable that the real head of Amishinrikyo did not, in fact, go to Antarctica and be a penguin guy. So the organization in this case may not be a direct parallel to Amishinrikyo. Okay. Well, I guess we will see how this goes. I'm not sure that's a direct parallel. I think it's. we should probably err on the side of this is supposed to be reminiscent of and obviously kind of metaphorically about but not strictly about yeah yeah no i i get it anyway uh meanwhile at the takakura residence we get kanba who has returned home to find a little dish of rolled cabbage that's curry flavored and a note from himari saying they made his favorite for dinner tonight I went with Sho to share some with Ringo. So this is happening concurrently with the end of the last episode. So Sho opens the thing, sniffs it, and is just delighted that it is curry-flavored roll cabbage. Look at this fucking smile. Uh, you said it was Sho, but it was Kamba. Kamba, excuse me. Yeah, you're good. Kamba opens it and goes, hmm, that's some fucking roll cabbage. I like it. <laughs> His face is really funny here. He's just happy. Uh, Penguin number one, meanwhile, has uh, discovered Kanba's uh, porn mags, which are apparently genie-themed. That does not surprise me. Can't believe that uh, we've got a Shantai grab here already. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, I'll be here all week. What was that word you said? I did also think of Shantai, so... (laughs) What's a Shantai? 
Shantae is a video game character. She looks like a genie. She is, in uh, fact, a genie. Well, I don't I know understand. anything about her. I just have seen her on the internet. All I know is that she is from the game Shantai Half Genie Hero, which would indicate that she is, in fact, at least partially a genie. She's very cute. The people who made the River City Girls games made that game first. Anyway. Kamba gets a phone call. Isn't it electrifying? Uh, Shibireru is the word used here, which just... If you are familiar with that word, Shibireru is just kind of like, doesn't it give you the shivers? Okay. Yeah, sense. it's 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 kind of a, you know, ooh, I've got goosebumps kind of isn't electrifying is the context <laughs> here. Uh, but yeah, it is very much like a it's an excitement thing. Your sister, Takakura Himari, will die again tonight. And when Kamba just questions who this weirdo is, uh, Sanatoshi tells him someone from the destination of fate. Destination of fate is giving real big ends of the world vibes. It is kind of going to be this series, yeah. Right? Again, we retread old ground. Also, the uh, the little shrine with the, to the penguin hat notably does not have the penguin hat on it at the moment. Mm-hmm. You forgot to charge your penguin hat at the penguin hat charger, and now it will cost you. <laughs> he didn't put it on the penguin hat, Doc. Yeah, exactly. The, so one element of this that is notable is if that hat is not there... That means it must be on Himari. Mm-hmm. So Kanba has just by seeing that realized that Himari must be uh, currently transformed into the Princess of the Crystal somewhere. Uh huh. Meanwhile, in the subway car from Hell, <laughs> Ringo is asking Shoma how Momoka's death is possibly his fault. Uh, as Penguins number two and three watch, and Shoma begins explaining that 16 years ago, many people died, and the perpetrators of that incident were my parents. Dun, dun, dun! Flashback. The room where it all started, incident and its turbulence, a boy was born in Takakura family, and he commenced the, the operation. The room where it happened, the room where it happened. <laughs> I see. She had the baby, says Flashback Kenzon, who looks way more like, more like a weenie than he did the last time we flashed back to him, but then again, we were seeing him from Kanda's perspective back then. Yeah. Look, he's got a penguin. He's got the penguin. Mm-hmm. He's got, uh, specifically, he's got the Esmeralda as his logo. He has the mean penguin. The rock copper penguin, yep. Yeah, his uh, he is on the phone, and he is learning that his wife just had their baby, and he seems, like, pretty chill about it. Like, he's happy, obviously, but, like... So he looks relieved and, like, exhausted to me. He's yeah. He's got a lot of lines on his face, like he's been working overtime and the way his you can't hear it because we're currently watching the episode silent in order to record this podcast but the way he voices the lines you know as he's asking about his wife he sounds like a guy who's been exhausted all day and is relieved to have finally received some good news yeah so excited probably but also kind of like Oh, thank God, finally. By the way, uh, because it's an Ikuhara show, we finally, finally get an industrial factory packaging something that we cannot see and do not know. And all the boxes have the rock hopper penguin emblem on them. Yep. I'll head over to the hospital as soon as I'm done with work, says Kenzon as they get stamped on there. I wonder if these boxes contain munitions. Hmm. Anyway, as the 
millions of boxes head down conveyor non-Euclidean conveyor belts. Kenzon says, so, it's a boy, before dialing a number. And, uh, Mr. Dalio, he'd been activated. <laughs> By the way, the boxes thing definitely gave me big Sarah Zerazenmai, um, Sarah Zenmai vibes. Yep. Yep. I literally became that meme, like, person who's only seen Sarah Zenmai. This is <laughs> really reminding me of Sarah Zenmai. It's not your fault that Ikuhara reuses the same motifs. Ikuhara's just like, everything is a factory if you look at it long enough. And he's right. Oh my god, he's literally just doing Foucault again. <laughs> <laughs> everything is a factory, except for factories which are prisons. <laughs> god damn it. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> notice that we have the uh, traffic sign people, except for the, these ones in orange. Mm-hmm. Yep. So one of them gets a call on his beeper because it's the because it's 1995 and cell phones don't exist, and it just says, "Let's initiate the survival strategy." Wait a minute. Back that up a little bit. What'd you see? I'm just amused. I don't really recognize the landscape they're in front of, and that probably is somewhere in Japan that looks an awful lot like the Capitol building in D.C. That's what I was thinking, too. Can we back up a little bit before this? Yes. To the beginning of the the guys getting the beeping? That looks like the fucking... That's the, that's the Tokyo Tower, isn't it? That's yeah. Tokyo Tower. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. So this is Tokyo. Okay. It was like, yeah, yep, yeah, okay, yeah. Those are... Those I recognize. I wonder... Maybe that's the Diet building? Hmm, maybe. I don't know, I just know that one thing is the Tokyo Tower. Yeah, me too. Because it's in the Rico. <laughs> anyway, Kenzon arrives, now dressed in a stylish orange jacket himself, gets out of an unmarked van, nods to himself, which, okay, there was a match shot of Kenzon nodding and then a reverse shot of him facing the other direction and nodding. And if that's not a hint that he has a fucking twin brother, I will spit. Interesting. And you know what? I'm going to give you any amount of money at Sanatoshi. Interesting. Sanatoshi is Kenzon somehow. Interesting. We'll see how that goes. I don't know whether you are right or wrong. All of my Ikuhara dollars on Sanatoshi. <laughs> there you go. I've named the episode. We don't have to go any further. <laughs> So now we are getting a flashback within our flashback. It's flashbacks all the way down. Tabuki, 16 years ago on the morning of the incident, Tabuki was supposed to take the same train as Momoka, but the alarm never went off. Momoka has... Died? Yes, she she has. Sheesh! Why did my alarm go off today of all days, says baby Tabuki, who is only 10 years old or something. Man, it's hard to believe that one day he'll grow up to be... A creep who will do terrible things. I mean, he's not really a creep. He got drugged once. To be fair, I guess he was, I, w- I guess he, what do you call that? Froggied? Tabuki was in fact drugged with frog juice and currently out of his mind. I don't think we should, without his consent, by the way. So I don't think we should necessarily call him a creep yet. Anyway, he's going to be sentenced to tickling hell if he's late again. In the English dub, they call it the tickle torture. Yep. Tickling hell is actually a very literal translation from what I remember of the, the Japanese there. Interesting. It's very funny. I wonder if that, I mean, I, that might be like a like a common term it's of not, some kind. It's not It's not that it's a common term. It's that um, it's playing off Japanese folklore about hell. Okay. So the hell he's describing is Buddhist hell. Okay. Which has kind of a... Uh, 
here are all of the different awful things that can happen to you if you were a shitty person in life vibe. There are specific segments of Buddhist hell. Okay. Anyway, uh, at this moment, we are very sorry that we can't let you on the train, baby Tabaki, say the faceless subway attendants. They sincerely apologize for the inconvenience. I love the fact that the immediate background of this shot is just a giant sign saying video game. I imagine that's a video game store. It's probably an arcade. Oh, yeah, that makes more sense. It's in Japan. It's in the 90s. It's definitely an arcade. So the crowd is rioting. Uh, Apparently there has been some kind of accident already in the subway. And people start chatting together and mention, you know, I hear it happened in Kasumigaseki Station. Just basically everyone going like, it's... It happened in multiple locations, not just on this subway line. This is actually, I did not realize this when I was first watching the episode. That's a notable thing. The real sarin gas attacks took place along a single subway line. Huh. Yeah, it was all, no, it actually, no, it was not. It was, it was two different loops, I believe. The specific line we've been seeing in the show that characters have been going to stops on all of them were stops along one of the real lines where the gas attacks happened. Okay. Yeah. I even found a specific subway map of the, the line, and it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's just the fucking one from the show. I mentioned this previously, but I did pick up Underground by Haruki Murakami, and I'm looking forward to getting to, to read that to learn more about uh, the gas attacks, even though Murakami's a hack. This isn't a fiction book, so this is okay. Who's Murakami? Haruki Murakami is a weird Japanese novelist who has written a lot of books, some of them which even aren't horrible reactionary messes. The keyword there is some. In all seriousness, he is a kind of deeply conservative guy, but he is a very creative writer. He's known for books that kind of embrace a level of existentialism and uh, apathy towards society. His plots are bonkers. His plots are very bonkers. Going Underground is not one of his fiction novels, and he wrote it because he felt like the perpetrators of the sarin gas attack kind of got off a little bit easy in terms of public opinion of them. Oh, they definitely did. And so he went out of his way to interview people who were on the line during the gas attacks. And Going Underground is a product largely of those interviews with those people. Oh, I think the book is just called Underground. but Underground, yeah. But I yeah. keep calling it Going Underground because that's a song by The Jam. Oh. <laughs> that I happen to like. But yeah, um, I on recommendation from Yasha, I did pick up uh, Underground because uh, even though she knows how I feel about Murakami, she said that this that uh, underground is uh, very good, mostly because it is nonfiction. <laughs> yes, but yeah. Back to Keiji Tabaki's horrible, no good, very bad day. He's hearing about the explosion and processing all of this in real time. There is a helicopter overhead. There are ambulances and police sirens showing up, and as he is disassociating into hell, he just re- realizing that Momoka is was on the subway. He pleads to be let through because his friend is down there. And as the crush of people, you know, continues to press in, one of them turns around and says, look over there. And we see trails of black smoke rising up into the sky from all over the city. And time for another flashback 
to the funeral home where it's impossible. I refuse to believe Momoka is dead because she... What a terrible tragedy. So many innocent victims. <laughs> that was the probably the, the worst lawn read you've ever done. Well, she was doing a reference. What you mean to say is that she began a reference and then, like, sort of, like, backed out of it at the last possible <laughs> moment. At the, in fact, arguably worst possible moment. To fuck with you, Alice, would you have rather that I uh, jumped... Would you rather that uh, I have chimed in with, haven't you people? <laughs> <sighs> you left yourself wide fucking open. I know you. I read your soul. At the funeral, there's two parents and a child and, and an infant child sitting on a bench and then a bunch of the subway sign people and then tabuki tabuki notably is like a mile away uh, he is separated by the crowd from ringo's parents and he is in shadow where ringo's parents are in the light yep and the crowd are the ones talking through this whole sequence a random person just says you just so happened to get on the train later than usual that day. God, that's so grim. Luck wasn't with her. I'm sure this isn't going to give little Tabuki a complex at all. Oh, he'll be fine. You know, honestly, so far he has been. There wasn't a piece of her left. They only found her diary. And we see little tiny infant Ringo with the diary. In her mother's arms, teething on the diary because she is a literal infant. And this is the first time we see Momoka. We see a picture of her, but most of it is obscured by, like, light reflecting off of it. But we do see, like, the bottom of her head, and she has shoulder-length hair, and that's really about all we can see. Yep. What a twist of fate. I won't believe that you're gone, Momoka, says Tabuki. How can I believe it? You were so excited you were going to have a little sister. Okay, that actually does get me. Like, I, I can't make a joke about that. I refuse to believe that you died in such an accident. Here's an interesting detail. We don't know what this means yet, but Tabuki, we have not seen these scars on him in the present. He has some kind of scarring on the backs of his, the fingers of his left hand. I imagine that we have just never been in a... He has been deliberately drawn to... Obscure that. Never be showing this scar, or at least not draw attention to it. Yeah. We would have to like go back through the previous episodes to see if it's there, and I, I don't think we've seen it yet, because like every time we've seen Tabuki, his, his left hand is not his dominant hand in the animation work from what i can tell we see the a little bit from the opening with the bird cage that usually we see along with tabuki in the opening and it says yes i refuse to believe that you died in such an accident that you vanished from this world as he pronounces that what we are seeing right now this white plume of smoke do you know you know what this is i don't have you ever heard of a crematorium well yes yeah, okay. In Japan, it is pretty customary to cremate the bodies of the recently deceased. It's oh, okay. generally more common than burial uh, for a lot of reasons, one of them being that Japan space. is, in fact, in Island, and the cemetery space is a premium. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's it's actually kind of like that in, um, in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, 
well, I'm pretty sure this shot is because the the smoke is white. This is a crematorium, and the implication here is that um, this is after the funeral, and they have cremated Momoka's body. So if the white smoke goes up, then uh, a new pope has been chosen. Stop! (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm dealing with this in the only way I know how, because this is a bummer of an episode, let me tell you both. Anyway, we're back on the hell station. So, 16 years ago, show continues, my parents, Kenzan and Chiemi Takakura, were senior members of the organization responsible for the pain and suffering of countless innocent people. So my family killed your sister. I love this fucking sideways, big, ah, voice, like, face that she does. I fell asleep from boredom. The princess of the crystal is bored. (laughs) I do not like when things are not about me. Have you accepted the fact that the wheel of fate binds you? She asks the two of them. We get a shot of the two as they are asked this question that just says everything. I really like this shot right here where it's uh, Ringo and Shoma on opposite sides of the screen, but like they're both kind of like cut off a little bit. Yep, with the uh, line, the dividing line of the window kind of creating a natural divider in the frame between them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really good look. Yep, and both of them just destroyed by what they've heard. I, the Princess of the Crystal says, humans are so interesting. So uh, what she says in Japanese here is yare yare, first of all, which is very funny if you've ever seen JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Mm-hmm. I know what that means. She just goes, human beings sure are dense creatures. You leave me no choice. I'll tell you one last thing. Hey, hey, shit. She's just a little, like, heave-ho as she has to stand up. Listen, cursed children of fate. I want to point out that in the English dub, she says, upsy-daisy. Yep, which is very good. Oh, that's that's lovely. It's very cute. And we've upgraded from um, from losers who won't accomplish anything. things are looking up you have lost the penguin drum the world has called forth dark bunnies once again that's right the faded day is approaching notably the way she's pointing here she is pointing to the space between shoma and ringo Mm -hmm. and as they turn to look in between them the princess of the crystal collapses the entire train car winks out of existence leaving them in a void and show desperately asks what the matter is to which the princess says, obtain the penguin drum. If you wish to save your sister's life, if you wish to escape the fate that binds you, if you wish to derail it from its path, find the penguin drum and... Shoma desperately asks if the diary is the penguin drum and what they can do now. Wait, did we already establish that the diary is the... No. no. Technically, we have not because... I guess I just assumed... What happened was, is the Princess of the Crystal told them, Ringo Oganomi has the penguin drum. Probably. Probably. And so they saw that she had the diary and were like, that must be the penguin drum. And so that's why they've been trying to get it this whole time. They don't even actually know. They just think it's the penguin. Yep. Anyway, uh, Himari just says, stop him. As the light fades from her eyes, the hat falls from her head. And Himari has, in fact, collapsed on the road. Sho tells uh, Ringo to call an ambulance. And we get our transition card 
to the destination of fate as Sonatoshi rides a subway, walking forward holding an apple with a little sticker on it that looks like some kind of bullet. He has an entourage. Linked by two young boys with dark hair who are definitely not rabbits. (laughs) And today's double H thing. It just said that happened before I was born. With a swirling broken wheel symbol around the number 95. Anyway, we're halfway through the episode and everything is awful. We are really living on a prayer. Kanba is racing to the hospital, holding Penguin number one in his arms as Sho desperately tells him over the phone, Bro, get over here. Himari collapsed. The hat's not working. It's different than before. Get your ass over here. Literally. That is what he says. Flashback! Time for another flashback. To his date, a certain day I spent with Himari. Himari always cared for us. I can't lose her. She's the This world. is like a Baka and Monogatari levels of, like, discursive flashback, like, substory within substory. <laughs> yep. Anyway, back in time we go. So, I think, I, I think I know what's being referenced in this bit. Yeah? Uh, it's Himari who is saying this. My, what a stubborn lass you are. Don't play coy, strip. Penguin, this is apparently after the Penguin showed up, because Penguin number one is dressed as a feudal lord and is desperately pulling the sash off of Penguin 3, who is dressed as a courtesan. Man, the sequel to Yojimbo just did not really feel like it followed from the previous one. I know, right? I'm pretty sure this is a Tale of Genji reference, but I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure it is. I still have not read the Tale of Genji. One layer, two, she says, I'll strip you bare for my side dish. I can see your privates. And as she's joking about this, Himari is ripping the leaves off a uh, cabbage to make rolled cabbage. Kanba has walked up behind her to uh, see what she is doing. And he asks, oh, is stuffed cabbage tonight? To which she goes like, oh yeah, it's your favorite. Wow, you're making so many. Does it not take this many to lighten up your mood? Himari teases him. (laughs) I can't eat that much, and I'm not in a bad mood to begin with, says Kanva, as he playfully uh, waves around a piece of cabbage. Unfortunately, he's activated Himari's trap card. She's, oh really, you can do me a favor then, right? (laughs) Make up with show before dinner. Immediately destroyed. Drops the cabbage leaf. I really like this expression on his face. I know, right? (laughs) Himari just chides him for being so childish and says, The great Himari can see right through you. It's very good and cute. I love Himari so much. Yep. She puts him to work, uh, wrapping cabbage. Meanwhile, Penguin number one is menacing Penguin number three with a coil of rope. Stuck cabbage is the symbol of our reconciliation, she says, right? I guess so. Anyway, I'll play the lord and you play the female servant, says Himari. What? We're gonna continue? Of course! Cut back to the penguins. Penguin number one has now been shibari-tied by Penguin three. <laughs> First the ball gag and then the shibari. I, I, we are entering into a new era of Ikuni research. Ikuni <laughs> kink train continues. Well, there was shibari in Serizamai as well. Yup. But now we're seeing the origins of it. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but uh, damn. Honest to God, Yurikuma is now the most vanilla of the Ikuhara anime, unless you count the boar. <laughs> yeah, in hindsight, like, 
It was weirdly tame. Yep. So we are seeing uh, an ambulance rush Himari to the hospital. This is back in present day, present time. Ha 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 ha. And we're going to get our extended fairy tale metaphor for the rest of the episode. Yep, so Shoma is full on dissociating right now. We can we know this because his pupils are very large and he out of nowhere just blurts out the word Mary. He's got those um he's got those um Higurashi eyes. Yep. <laughs> Mary had a little lamb. Uh he's notably using the Jap- in Japanese he's using the Japanese phrasing of the nursery rhyme. Yeah, well, I feel like you can kind of tell that from a lot of the things that he says that are not like the English nursery rhyme. Well, so like I mean, I imagine not all of it is not all of it is in like the Japanese version, but Yeah, Mani-san wa Hitsuji. Like he the the specific phrasing he's using I'm pretty sure is from a Japanese translation of the nursery rhyme that begins there. The pattern that Shoma's story is going to go into for the rest of this episode is it starts off with this is a normal ass fairy tale and then just off the rails and off the rails and off the rails as new elements get added. Mm -hmm. Not that it ever stops being a fairy tale, but specifically like it starts with Mary had three lambs and ends with God hates humanity. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty reasonable, TVH. So Himari does in fact have, she's hooked up to a heart rate monitor and EKG and she's not looking so great. And as Ringo stares at Shoma, and he just says, Mary had a little lamb. The story begins. Mary had three adorable little lambs, and the little lambs are notably Kanva, Shoma, and Himari as little sheepies. The designs for them as sheep, very cute. Yep. The sight of them walking in the pasture turned everyone's heads. They kind of look a little bit like they're from a rejected character design for, from Okami. <laughs> I know, right? I love them. The little lamb's wool shone like angel's wings. Oh, jeez. Notably, the Mary here is very obviously Kenzon, even though he's entirely in silhouette. Mary couldn't wait to spin their wool into thread. But one day, Mary awoke to a surprise. Kanba is currently running into the hospital. The apple tree in the garden had withered. It was the first tree in the world, the tree that bore golden fruit every year. It was Mary's other dear, dear treasure. And this whole time, Kanba is just running around this big, empty hospital trying to figure out where to go. Yep. Mary ran to the apple tree and broke into tears. The apple tree's light had once been the source of the world's love, future, and dreams. Now the world is shrouded in darkness. Mary cried on and on, and the lamb's consolation fell on deaf ears. That's when... And Himari's vitals flatline. The doctor looks at his watch. He's very clearly establishing time of death. As Kanba dashes down the hall, grabs Shoma, begs him for information about what happened, and Shoma continues the story. We're not sure if he's saying this out loud. He kind of is, but it's sort of like, it doesn't really matter whether or not this is diegetic. Yeah. Yeah. This is simultaneously deeply sad and also kind of creepy. Yeah. Yeah, he's fully dissociated. Anyway, a voice came down from heaven. The world has not ended yet. When Mary looked up, there were two unusual huge black bunnies sitting on a rock. 
They look adorable and also very creepy. I can't believe the the Black Rabbit of Inlay went full Yandere and cloned itself. They are adorable and terrifying. Yep. Fucking proto-Cube. Hey, get yourself together, Shoma, says Kanba, desperately shaking Shoma. And finally fed up, he rips the penguin hat out of Shoma's hand and pushes penguin number one into it, dashes into the room to check on Himari as Shoma continues his story. While Shoma's continuing, a nurse kind of moves to try and stop Kanba, and the doctor uh, kind of like holds her off, going like, no, you, you should let him. Anyway, the bunnies apparently say, you know the shrine of the goddess deep in the forest? Go and collect ashes from the flaming torch inside. The tree will recover the instant you sprinkle the ashes over it. And uh, as he said that, all of the doctors and everyone was left the room that Amari was in. Yep. Mary declined. The taboo forbade for human contact with the torch of the goddess. You're just going to borrow some ashes, said the rabbits. The world will be filled with light once again. The goddess will be pleased, too. That night, Mary stole the ashes from the shrine and sprinkled them over the apple tree. How did we get from Mary has a little lamb to Prometheus? I don't know. I I fucking told you. It just goes off the rails. Kanba puts the hat on Imari's head and says, look, the hat's right there. You're better now, right? Wake up. As he does, the eyes on the hat begin glowing slightly. Himari's vitals begin to recover ever so slightly. We start to do the transition into the Princess of the Crystals realm, and the lights go out there, and everything stops. Mm-hmm. There is broken glass all over the ground. All of the machinery that we normally see in the Princess of the Crystals segments is, like, broken and in disrepair. Yep. So Kanba notably says something here as he pulls the Princess of the Crystal upright. He says to her... Come on, I transferred part of my life to you. Have you forgotten our deal? Say something. So that's confirmation on something we've suspected since episode one, but was Mm -hmm. only just confirmed now. When Kanba and the Princess of the Crystal first did the survival strategy, she did in fact take some of his life Mm -hmm. to keep Mari going. And she says the payment that uh, she took from him has run out of juice. In any case, it's too late. I shall go back. As such, this girl's life will end. This is goodbye, she says, holding Kanba's hand. Kanba protests, asks her where she's going back to, and she tells him the destination of fate. He begs her to once again try and do the transfer. Literally ripping his shirt open. I guess. Nobody needed to see your titty, Kamba. <laughs> Kamba has to show his determination. He ripped straight through a full, a fully, like, foreign fucking shirt. So, like, my dude's got muscle. <laughs> okay, Mr. Yakuza, calm down. The Princess of the Crystal tells him it doesn't. It's no use. It's akin to love, akin to the first kiss. It only works once. Kamba protests that she'll never know unless she tries, and tells her to hurry and take it. As he does, a little red orb appears in the center of his chest, and the, as the Princess of the Crystal sees it, she says, "The scorpion soul burning bright red. Why is it a scorpion soul? I don't know." Maybe Kanba stings people. Who's the frog? I was literally about to ask who the frog was. So the Princess of the Crystal drops off most of her train and her scarf and says, Very well, let's initiate the survival strategy. What did, what, what did she just take off? Most of her clothes. Okay, just confirming that. She reaches into Kanba's chest, grabs the soul, and as she does, Shoma's story continues. Just as the Black Bunnies claimed... The apple tree was revived. 
Mary was overjoyed, dancing under the tree, blind to the three little lambs. Kanba is in obvious pain here, by the way, as his soul goes bright red and then the flare-up kind of flares back down. However, the goddess was furious. It was, after all, a taboo. The Princess of the Crystal releases Kanba's soul. He grabs her hand, tries to guide it back, desperately trying to, you know, finish the whole exchange. The goddess decided to punish Mary. So the framing of the shot, by the way, of Kanba with the Princess of the Crystal does look like two people in an intimate embrace, but not a sexual one, if that makes sense. It's very Ikuni. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, from the outside, apparently, it's just Kanba holding Himari's hand in the darkness of the hospital. So this is happening both diegetically and non-diegetically. Anyway, the punishment was ultimately up to the goddess's whim. We see the goddess count eeny, meeny, miny, mo. I think in Japanese she says, Itsumo no shomen dare, which is, um, you ever heard of uh, the game Kagome Kagome? No. Yeah. So Kagome Kagome is kind of like a Japanese version of Duck Duck Goose. Oh, that makes sense. One person is blindfolded in the middle of a circle and everyone else moves around them. You're supposed to guess which of the other people is behind you. There is a very messed up legend that this is a thing that prison guards did to prisoners who were to be executed. I see. Kind of like... It's so much more fucked up than Duck Duck Goose. Yeah, to kind of select who will uh, be the first one executed in a day during the Edo period. So that is why that's there. So it's not just Edi Meeny Mighty Mo. It, in Japanese, this has kind of the implication of I'm deciding which of you to kill. The goddess chose the smallest, youngest lamb. Which is, of course, Amari. The lamb she chose was a kind and gentle girl. We get over some montage clips of Himari being adorable. Who likes to cook and knit and always worries about her good-for-nothing brothers. She was but a little girl. So, Kanba is destroyed, the penguins are destroyed, and as he holds her hand close, desperate to do something, he blurts out her name, the hat falls to the ground, Shoma snaps out of his weird reverie in time to see this happen, and Himari's vitals flatline again. Exit Himari. The brother lambs who were left behind cried. Oh, goddess, why did you choose Himari? As he is saying this, penguin number three has fallen over and is becoming translucent. Oh, my God. We're getting a literal, like, back to the future, Marty fading out of his parents' photos moment here. Yep. Oh, goddess, why did you choose Himari? And the goddess says... Because punishment has to be the most unjust. It's like the absolute most inverse of that one line from Robert Frost that the only thing that can make injustice just is mercy. Like the literal inverse of it. Yep. Anyway, as this is happening, Sanatoshi becomes wandering down the empty halls of the hospital, walks past Ringo and Shoma, and into the hospital room... Empty except for Kanba and Himari, as Kanba asks, why can it not be me? And he arrives, flanked by two attendants, holding an apple, and says, indeed it can't, right? And we get our title card, the wheel that binds us. Yeah, dear your future hit real hard this episode. Yeah. Woof. So that was the episode. That sucked, dog. I mean, it was a good episode, it's just- It was a good episode, just like- just 
That song. <laughs> it is a stone cold bummer. Yeah. yeah. We are officially at our halfway point. Yep. So how did we all feel about this one? That was very sad and also very weird. So typical. So I loved this episode, but if we're getting an alternate universe version of the sarin gas attacks... I understand now why when Yasha and Vana talked to us about this show, they both kind of went, I don't know how I feel about how Ikuni used this as a storytelling element. Yeah. We will see where it goes from here, because there was obviously a lot about these things that we do not know. But like, the version we are seeing of these attacks is heavily fictionalized, not just in who perpetrated them, because obviously the real attacks were carried out by real people and not... Uh, the parents of a fictional character, but because the kind of divergence of the timeline here means that uh, this is sort of Elseworlds fiction about 9-11, and I'm not sure how I would feel about that if someone told me that they were working on that as a story. Yeah, I mean, like, and I can definitely understand that, and I have been having similar thoughts during this episode, especially once we establish that it is an alternate universe version and not even the i mean i you know i don't know i don't know how much different it would make it if they had done exactly the sarin gas attacks or not it's always a tricky thing when you were dealing with real tragedies and that's not to say you shouldn't i'm probably a little more sympathetic to this i think than most of us are here because like i kind of feel like there needs to be room for us to do stuff with the past even when the parts of the past we're doing stuff with are weird and uh, uncomfortable but it's never not going to be fraud yeah i mean i don't know like i'm just literally not sure how i feel about it especially because we are only halfway through so i don't even know a hundred percent how i feel about the rest of the show in general i but i know that like it does seem kind of like hmm and I, I, I don't know, like, I, I feel like a little uneasy and a little trepidatious about our metaphor here or our, yeah. our allegory or whatever. Yeah. But I'm willing to see where it goes. And we have to legally. We are bound by podcast law. We are bound by co- podcast law. Whether we would like to or not. We are doomed. <laughs> so now we get our uh, promo for the next episode. We see this looks like like a very small apartment room, and we see Esmeralda, the rockhopper penguin, in either like a hallway or a closet. And all we can see, because she's entirely in shadow, all we see is her little white face. Her little heart-shaped white face as she comes in slowly into frame. Is this the punishment that was brought on us? I would accept it, even if my body was to burn to ashes. I won't give up yet. So Esmeralda beautifully in this whole thing throws a uh, Momoka's diary on the ground, and Penguin Number One jumps out of. Is that the diary? Yeah, that's the diary. It just let me get another look at it real quick. There is, let me put it this way: there is no other pink book that prominently features in the series up to this point. And yeah, I'm pretty sure it's hard to tell because it's so zoomed out. But I thought that was the two sea serpents thing there Mm -mm, i don't think so because it looks like that was a circle with an 18 on it and then there's like some there's like maybe a name written on the back or a word written on the back 
It could be. It could. It could just be that the joke there is that she threw porn to Penguin Number One. Also possible. But, yeah. And we get our Lily Hoshino illustration of the Princess of the Crystal laying down. The only colors in the picture are black, white, red, and this uh, like yellowy color she used for the skin. Because she is in this picture, presumably either A, a vampire, or B, dead, or C, both. <laughs> Survival strategy. I won't give up. Too late. <laughs> so that was our very sad episode, guys. Yay! <laughs> Yay! I really enjoyed that. I hope it... <laughs> Honest to God, it was a very good episode, but I am... Um not ready to deal with this stone cold bummer of a thing again yeah i don't have any idea what the next episode holds and i know that that's not really different from how i have felt before every other episode but yeah yeah definitely feeling like i can't really stop it here which is actually kind of a good thing yeah like there are a couple times before this where i'm like yeah i could stop here and be fine but no, not anymore. <laughs> now I do, in fact, need to know what the hell happens next. Yeah. Yeah. Right, well, do we have any final thoughts? Um, In all seriousness, now that I've made my stupid joke because you set me up for it. This is probably the you were kidding when you said this is the most Ikuhara episode. It has all of the hallmarks. It is prime Ikuhara really bullshit. I'm going to actually throw it out there. Uh, Of the Penguin Drum episodes we've watched recently, this one was my least favorite. Not just because it was the most Stone Cold bummer, but because kind of because it was the most conventionally Ikuhara of them. It's been really fun watching all of the less conventional Ikuhara-ing that's happened between then and now. I thought I would be ready for like just a full dose of like, here's the Ikuhara everyone knows and loves. And it's like, no, actually the show feels a little bit weird when the fairy tale vibe from previous Ikuhara stuff creeps in. It really hasn't leaned on that very hard up to this point. Mm -mm. It's done a lot of illusion and a lot of, you know, calling back to other things. And it's alluded to older stories more than once. But like, it felt a lot more like it was Ikuhara sort of like doing things by illusion than it was wandering back down the same creative path again and this episode kind of does and it's not that it's a bad episode or anything it's just of the ones we watched recently between the fact that it was such a stone cold bummer and the fact that it didn't surprise me in that way as much i probably enjoyed watching this one the least this episode and the previous episode were uh partially storyboarded by the bastard man himself which means this is directly Ikuhara's fault. Yeah, I believe it. Uh, on uh, episode 11, there are three storyboarders credited, and he is one of them. Episode 12, there are two, and he is one of them. So yeah. Mr. Ikuhara, Ikuhara-san, I, Ikuhara-sensei, I just have to say, uh, this is your fault. I will never call him Ikuhara-sensei, because I don't and, respect uh, him. I will forgive you in the afterlife. <laughs> After I'm dead. My last thoughts will be of forgiving you. Not me. I'm different. Oh, you're going to haunt him after death? I sure the fuck am. (laughs) Ikuhara, you you better die before Panda. I was gonna say, I like that the implication that I'm gonna die before he is, even though he is, like, several decades older than me. 
it's been well established by now that Ikuhara does suck the blood of the living in order to prolong his life. I don't think he can ever die. He and Weird Al have the same energy. <laughs> Listeners, if you would like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at Utnikas. If you would like to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at Mpandanata. Alice, where can you be found online? I can be found also on Twitter. I am Lyrewolf. That is L-Y-R-E-W-U-O-F. And Cass, where can people find that good, good podcast that you and Alice do? You can find Big Steppy wherever fine podcasts are sold, but you can find the Twitter account for the show at SteppyCast. And if you would like to support this show, you can do that on Patreon. Uh, you can find that at UsnaCast.com. And if you would like to get in contact with us, you can do that on Twitter or at our email address, which is ImagineMeAndUsna at gmail.com. Or you can fill out the form, the Google form that is in our pinned tweet to express your interest in being a guest on this show. And after this episode... We may be going on a hiatus, and if we don't go on hiatus, I will just clip this out of the episode and no one will ever know. So I will keep everyone posted on that, and I think that is all the things, and if not, I'm tired because it's 10 p.m. and I'm an old grandma, and I go to bed at 10.30, so... On the count of three, two, one, we will survival tactic. Which, by the way, we did not get survival tactic this episode. Very sad. I mean, we did. It was just depressing. Okay, but it wasn't survival tactic. Just because they say the words survival tactic doesn't make it a survival tactic. A survival tactic by any other intonation. We went to the warp world and everyone was dead and it was awful. It was a survival tactic designed to kill us. <laughs> An inverse survival tactic, if you will. What's the opposite of survival? A perish tactic. Yeah, yes. Okay. Three, two, one. Survival, survival tactic. tactic.